Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com, where Inside Carolina members get 10% off their everyday online orders. Get ready for another edition of Inside Carolina Radio. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes. And Greg, here we are doing yet another NCAA podcast. North Carolina has responded to the second amended notice of allegations, third overall notice of allegations that the NCAA has passed on to the university. Responded last week, uh, made public on Thursday. Your take, because quite frankly, it seems like more of the same to me. Yeah, and I think that's accurate, Tommy. And uh, Bubba pretty much said the same thing during his teleconference on Thursday afternoon, that North Carolina's message throughout this entire process has been the same. And that's been, hey, we're going to follow the bylaws. We're going to you know, make sure that any charges against us are going to be based legitimately in the bylaws and that they expect the NCAA enforcement staff to follow that process. And I think really the thing that has changed is not UNC's stance because it has not. But it's been the NCAA's stance. We can get into that a little bit more. But, I mean, if you look at some of the things that have been uh, in each of these notices of allegations, I mean, you've got impermissible benefits was in the very first one. Then it was not in the second one. Now it's back in, but it's a little bit different. And so I think the NCAA, more than anything, is having a hard time trying to figure out how to find bylaws to kind of fit what, has happened at UNC and UNC is just kind of sitting back saying, all right, whatever you want to try this time, we'll do the exact same thing and show you where your flaws are. Uh, and they delivered a 102 page thorough, uh, kind of breakdown of, of where the NCAA has made missteps. Speaking of bylaws and, and one of the biggest differences in this one is the interview uh, with Debbie Crowder and speaking of those bylaws and, for those who's, who are listening that have not read uh, the response and all the exhibits and Crowder's interview, do so. Because the first 10 or 12 pages of it, they're arguing over one of the bylaws. And they can't agree on whether or not or what confidential means. Uh, Greg, your take on that. I mean, for me, uh, being in a, in a legal field, I see a lot of that arguing and nitpicking over the exact wording of what somebody says and all, but looking at it without that, I see a situation where if you're going to talk to anybody involved with the NCAA, it is 100% in your best interest to have an attorney with you. That 10, 12-page start to that interview is exactly why. Your take. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you go back to 2010 when all this started, a lot of people didn't realize that uh, Chance Miller and I can't I can't remember the other, the lady's name off the top of my head uh, that came to do the inter- interviews. They were 25 and 27 at the time, and these were the people representing the NCAA and the enforcement staff uh, and kind of holding UNC hostage, if you will. Um, and so that kind of gives you some insight. Now that a 25 and 27 year old can't can't do a good job with this kind of stuff, but I think most people kind of expect that you've got these you know, 55, 60-year-old people that have been around forever, who have seen everything, 
Uh, and that's not necessarily the case. But the other part of it, too, that I, that I think is very enlightening is Crowder, more than anybody, has kind of proved that you know, if you work for an institution that's part of the NCAA, or you're an employee, or you're a student athlete, or a coach, or whatever it may be, as long as you're employed or playing, the NCAA has you by the shorts. And you pretty much have to do everything they say. But when you get out of the uh, the chain of command, if you will, and you're like Debbie Crowder where you're retired, a lot of this stuff doesn't really apply to you anymore. And so the NCAA makes threats, but they have no subpoena power, none whatsoever. And so now they're saying, okay, well, UNC, we're, we're holding you responsible for making Debbie Crowder and Julius Nangara talk. And UNC's like, okay, you know, we're trying to get them to talk, but they don't work for us anymore. We can't do anything about it. And so, uh, you know, I know probably a lot of people have questions about the unethical conduct charge against Crowder for, for not participating. But now she's participated, so why is that still in there? Which is a valid question. But I think I think the the point that matters with that is that Crowder didn't care. I mean, why does she care if that's in there or not? I mean, it doesn't affect her any. And UNC has bigger fish to fry. So, like, you know what? Whatever. They, if they want to hit us with that, fine. In North Carolina, I kind of took a, a, a neutral stance on that, saying, hey, we know she helped, finally. But if they want to charge us with that, whatever. Uh, there's more important things. But it really kind of gives some insight into how the NCAA works and all the nuances involved. And a lot of it just kind of makes you scratch your head and say, wow, this, this is kind of what we've come to. Yeah, I sort of got that from some of Crowder's responses in that interview. It was just like, really? Uh, you know, I'm in the business of educating kids, and some of the questions and the concerns that they had were just – it was a pretty incredible read. Uh, let me ask you this. And, you know – if I look at it and I speak honestly, I don't think it matters what Carolina says in any of these responses at this point. I, I think the NCAA is going to do what they have to do or do what they want to do uh, going into the uh, the infractions committee or the enforcement, you know, whatever the next step is. I think the NCAA is going to do it, and then Carolina is going to have to deal with that, and the cycle continues to go. Your take on maybe the rest of the process from here. Well, let me let me respond to that because I, I know you're not alone in that that thought. I know there's a lot of uh, people around the university, a lot of you know Carolina fans that believe that. Um, and I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to dispute it. But I would say, you know, when when all this came down the end of last year, you know, when Sankey had his uh, procedural hearing that he really didn't use as a procedural hearing. He used it to kind of rework uh, the notice and you know, kind of force the enforcement staff to rewrite it. You know, a lot of the feedback we got from around UNC was, you know, Sankey's, Sankey's out to get North Carolina. He wants to hammer him. He wants to make a point. He wants a feather in his cap. Uh, and, and I get that. But in talking with some other people not associated with UNC – Kind of their take was, hey, 
understand it looks bad, but he really just wants to kind of get everything on the table so that the committee can actually look at this entire deal and determine if there's any legitimacy and there's any violations that actually occurred. Now, the truth, I would imagine, is somewhere in between there, right? Um, but I, but I, think, I think it's too easy to say the NCAA is just going to hammer them regardless. I think there's a, you know, an incredible amount of detail in this response. There's, a, there's not a lot of fluff. I mean, there is a lot of valuable information. It was very well done. Um, I really think it kind of sets the table for if legal action has to occur down the road. I mean, this is a, a quintessential blueprint. And maybe that's part of it. They want to say, hey, look, we have all this. So if you want to take us to court or you want us to take you to court, good luck. But you would think that there are enough smart people in the Committee on Infractions, even if you don't think much of Sankey. But there's enough other people that can look at this and say, okay, we've looked at it. There's not enough here to really hammer North Carolina. Um, Maybe I'm naive in thinking that way, but it'll be interesting. I don't think it's a slam dunk case right now that the NCAA is going to hammer UNC. Um, I think Sankey's actions kind of lead you to believe that, hey, they're probably going to hit North Carolina pretty hard with something. We don't know what that is quite yet, so we, we still have a ways to go in this process. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it's as one-sided as it, it may seem to some UNC fans at this point in time. It'll be something we need to watch. Maybe we can uh, have some arrangements after this is all said and done and see who's whose side was right, but I, I agree. They they are definitely making sure everything's on the table, uh, and if it's not, um, at least it'll be over, I think is a lot of Carolina fans' opinion. Your take on Carolina's response is strongest points, because I think the, the dinging of Auburn and Michigan in this certainly plays well. At least it's played well publicly. Um, but it's basically they're saying, look, this happened there. You didn't do much. Um, we didn't do as bad. Your take on those things. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that yeah, we've been harping on at IC for I mean, three or four years now, the Auburn and Michigan cases. Um, I believe it was the Michigan case. I was speaking with a, a guy that works at UNCC uh, who used to be on the NCAA uh, academic cabinet. And – one of, I believe it was one of the guys at Michigan maybe had 300 independent study classes in a year. And this guy at UNCC was saying, yeah, like three or four a semester is a heavy workload for a professor. So the idea that you, know, you can provide any kind of adequate oversight when you get up into the hundreds is just laughable. It's ridiculous. And then you get into where it's 85% full of student athletes. Um, you know, I think the NCAA um, was was really in a situation where they wanted to find some kind of bylaw that fit what UNC did instead of saying, okay, let's look at all these other examples. You know, let's look at these classes at Stanford basically run by the athletic department and these kids actually get credit. You know, let's not look at that. Let's not look at what happened at Auburn and Michigan, cases where they weren't even cases because – we took a quick look and said, yeah, nothing happened there. That's, that's about quality of education, quality of class. That's outside of our realm. Um, and I think that's kind of where they've gotten stuck is they felt like they needed to hit North Carolina. 
They thought the public pressure. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think it's interesting that North Carolina went back and ran the numbers of the Weinstein report uh, with active student athletes. And apparently what Weinstein had done is he counted 171, I believe was the number, um, of former student athletes who took some of these classes. So they weren't actually on teams at the time that they took them. Uh, it was later on in their career, you know, for whatever reason, they quit. They uh, they decided to stop, however that may have worked. And by, by doing that calculation, all of a sudden you're saying, okay, it's not like 53% of, of general population students that were taking them. So they were 70. And then that, that's a pretty big number. Uh, but then the one that I always come back to is how the NCAA time and time and time again over the last six years has done everything they could do to hit North Carolina impermissible benefits. We've got a story up on the website about it. And North Carolina basically says, eh, no, that's not going to work. There's no bylaws for that, that allegation that you're making. And so the NCAA goes, all right, back to the drawing board. And they go back and they find some more mud to sling at the wall. Nope, that doesn't work. Okay, let's try it again. And you see this multiple times. Sometimes they show up in allegations. allegations. Other times they just show up in some of these uh, email communications between the university and the NCAA. I mean, some of this stuff's just amazing. And so when you see yet another attempt by the NCAA to, to allege impermissible benefits, and UNC yet again saying, look, this is why this doesn't work. And they lay out crystal clear um, kind of why impermissible benefits is, is not a legitimate allegation in these cases. Uh, it's, it's almost laughable that we've kind of gotten to this point. But I mean, the North Carolina's defense of that impermissible benefit charge uh, is really strong. That's the backbone for the NCAA alleging lack of institutional control. Uh, without those two, nothing else really matters. It's all very minor stuff. Um, so North Carolina really hit hard on, on those areas. Yeah, they do a good job of knocking the legs out of the NCAA's biggest points. In your opinion, after reading this and after covering this for so long, what's Carolina's weakness here? Um, now, clearly, the media narrative that they referenced in the response has hurt North Carolina but in terms of with the NCAA, what is Carolina's biggest flaw in this, the biggest weak area um, in their defense? You know, to be honest, I think probably that the biggest weakness um, is that they've essentially admitted to wrongdoing uh, through. And that's one thing I really like about the way this this response was written is because UNC is like, you know what, we did nothing wrong. Uh, nothing occurred. There's no violations whatsoever. It wasn't like that. It was very much, hey, we acknowledge that there were some things that did not occur the way they needed to, right? There was uh, inadequate oversight. Um, we have apologized. We're embarrassed by this. Uh, we've, we've served our penalty to SACS, to our accrediting agency. Uh, we've put in place over 70 reforms. But at the end of the day, it is an academic issue. It is not athletic space, which is all the NCAA is kind of focused on. And I think, I think the NCAA has probably heard that um, over the years. They read Weinstein and said, wow, 
this is a major university admitting to wrongdoing and admitting that in a lot of these classes there were student athletes benefiting from it. Um, and so I, I think that's really the, the, the stickler. I mean, I, I think if the Wayne report doesn't happen, UNC, you know, this situation is not to the point where it is. Now, you know, that's water under the bridge. Uh, but, but I think that's kind of what keeps the NCAA moving on because media can say, hey, UNC's already admitted they, they screwed up, right? So why in the NCAA do anything? And that's one of the first major national writers after Weinstein came out said, if the NCAA does not hammer UNC for this, what do we have them for? And that was kind of echoed. And I really believe, and that's one of the reasons UNC referenced it several times, I really believe that media push, media narrative, has kind of fueled a lot of this. And I really think that's kind of the weak point because that's that's where the NCAA says, hey, we, we know they've admitted to wrongdoing on this matter. Now we just have to find a bylaw that we can use to hammer them with. Um, and the fact that they were able and willing to bring the Weinstein report back in even though that lowers the standard of evidence, I think that says a lot about how much the NCAA is willing to kind of give uh, to be able to do that. So in your opinion, uh, what should Carolina have done? Uh, Just say nothing, ideally. I I mean, I think that is the ultimate knowledge that they've gained or a university, any university has gained out of this, I think, or am I wrong there, that – no cooperation. If you're going to pop us, you pop us based on what you do and what you discover. We're not helping you do it at all. Um, or ultimately, is the Weinstein report going to turn out to be, I don't really want to say a saving grace, but something that in the end ultimately helps Carolina get through this with the NCAA? Well, two points. I think those are those are both very good questions, Tom. I mean, I think, number one, it is the issue that – Back in 2010, if North Carolina does not say, hey, come on in, our nose is clean, look around all you want, that doesn't happen. We're not here seven years later still talking about this. There's no doubt in my mind. If, if Bubba Cunningham is the athletic director in June of 2010, uh, this is over very quickly. Greg Little, Marvin Austin, Robert Quinn, those guys are off the team. Uh, Jennifer Wiley's probably been booted. Some other things have probably happened. And that's that's pretty much it. And I, I I think it's important. You know, people don't like to hear, "Hey, you figure out, you, know, you do the investigation. Whatever you find is fine. We're not doing anything." I don't think North Carolina. I don't think a lot of universities take that approach. But I think what a lot of universities do is they say, "All right, NCAA, you do your investigation. We're going to do ours. And if we find anything, we're going to let you know, and we're going to handle it." And that's, that's kind of one of the things with, with this investigation is that early on in the NCAA, you heard some things, and this has been relayed to us, and said, you know, UNC, look into it, take care of it. You know, if you need to self-report a violation, have at it. And UNC was like, no, come on, you come look with us. You know, just, just stay with us. We, we, we believe in everything we're doing. Uh, and that was a very naive approach. So I, I think the lesson there is for sure uh, to number one, make sure you get your your stuff in order, but also you know, to to make sure that uh, you protect the university as best you can. 
Because if you let things linger and let things out in the open, it can be problematic. As, as for your other, your other part about whether or not Wayne Seen is going to turn out to be a good thing, I don't know that necessarily turns out to be a good thing. Uh, I think there is no doubt that it, it allowed Deborah Crowder to come out. And I'm firmly convinced that when Sankey kind of pushed to have the Weinstein report included, he never once thought Crowder was going to come back and talk. And the fact that Crowder came back to talk, and she was very articulate in that interview, and said pretty much what she said in her affidavit, and what North Carolina has been saying behind the scenes for a long time, um, I think it really hurts what NCAA was hoping to do. NCAA just wanted to say, look, here's the Weinstein report. He talked to these people. They admitted to all of this. We're going to hammer North Carolina. And now all of a sudden, they actually have an interview with Crowder. And they weren't able to really get anything out of her. And especially, you know, it's, it's less damning the interview she did with them than what the Weinstein report said. So how, how do they work that in at the Camille infractions hearing? You know, that would be fascinating to hear. Because so I think that actually helps North Carolina with it. Uh, but when you start lowering the, the standard of evidence, uh, I, I think that's that's a concern. And that's one of the reasons North Carolina was so fired up about that uh, back in November and December. So, so we'll have to see. But but no doubt that Crowder coming out and talking because of the Weinstein stuff uh, was was a benefit to UNC. Yeah, I go back to her interview, and, and they basically asked, what took you so long? And she didn't – I mean, she said, I, I just didn't feel like talking at the time. I didn't see a point or, or whatever she said. And then she answered all those questions. But she did say that she was very disappointed and, and hurt, for lack of a better word, over how she was portrayed in that Weinstein report. And I think that's also why she came out to clear that record, like you mentioned. Weinstein, something we'll talk about it is – you know, following North Carolina sports for a long time, no matter what happens in this situation, I think that's probably going to be. While I'm, I think it may have been a good thing that it brought Crowder out. It's just not the way to do an investigation. Um, your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, I would say to that, Tommy, is that people need to understand Wayne C did not come into this trying to make an NCAA case. That was never the intention. The intention was to kind of get to the bottom, to figure out a narrative of exactly what happened, why it happened, and that's what he did. And you know, if the NCAA doesn't peek back out, everybody's upset about things. Um, you know, Sachs addressed it however they needed to, and all this would have been in the past. But the NCAA, you know, feeling that pressure from the media, saying, okay, well now we have this document saying exactly what happened, we're going to latch on to that, and that's kind of what's happened the last three years. Uh, and it's, it's easy to make the tie of, ah, oh, you know, Weinstein you know, screwed UNC and got NCLA back involved. That was never the intent, and that's not really how this investigation should have gone. And that's what UNC has kind of made its case on is, hey, the NCAA has very strict protocol for interviews. There has to be NCAA investigators there. There has to be institution officials there. Neither were there, neither were present for the Wayne scene interviews. And there was no transcripts, no audio, no video, no nothing, just notes taken. And yet the NCAA still wants to break all their protocol just to include that. That kind of tells you how much of a reach the NCAA has had to make 
Uh, and uh, you know, Wayne Steen, there's plenty to talk about there with the, the background. But I, I think people need to be sure to make that distinction that he was not hired to make an NCAA case. He was just hired to kind of talk to people and figure out exactly how this came about. Just looking ahead, a couple more questions before we wrap this. And you've been the leader in the coverage on this stuff across the board, not just on inside Carolina, but across all platforms and across the country, really. Um, more folk, folks should listen and read up on your writing, and maybe that media narrative wouldn't be out there. But do you think that maybe uh, the the Penn State case, for instance, uh NCA did what they had to do. Penn State came back and got most of that stuff stricken. Do you think maybe that's given North Carolina fan base uh, some false hope or maybe something that they really shouldn't latch on to? You know what I'm trying to ask there? Is that like a – is that like, oh, if that, the NCA is going to do whatever they got to do, we'll just sue them in court and get out of it. Do you think that may be not the way it goes down? Well, I, you know, I think for sure that is kind of in the, the back of people's minds. Is hey, you know, if, if we don't hear what we want to hear from the NCAA after the committee on infractions hearing, we're just going to take them to court and slam them, right? Um, and, and this document that just came out, as I mentioned earlier, is is very uh, incredibly detailed, very well written, written like a legal document. I mean, you could take that and take it into a courtroom, and for the most part, you're in pretty good shape in terms of, of making a defense. So I get that. I don't think UNC necessarily wants to have to go that route. They would rather this be handled within the NCAA process of even if you don't hear what you want to hear with the infractions committee, you can go through the appeals committee and, and maybe get uh, some things that you want to hear. I think that the kind of the interesting thing about the Penn State case is that really, in my opinion, it kind of set uh, UNC's defense early on. Because I remember sitting down talking with Bubba right after Weinstein came out. And one of the things that we talked about uh, was the Penn State case and how you know, the NCAA went completely outside of their protocol because of public pressure. And they wanted to absolutely hammer Penn State for what had happened. And a lot of people were like, you know what? Who cares if it's protocol? Hammer them. They get everything. You know, they should get everything they deserve with this stuff. But at that point in time, Bubba made it clear that, hey – we can't allow that to happen again. You know, as bad as things may be, we have rules in place. We have bylaws in place for this very reason. And at that point in time, he was he was pretty adamant in saying, as we do this, we're going to follow the rules. And not just us, but the NCAA and everybody else. We're going to follow the bylaws as they are written. Um, and so I think more than anything, the Penn State case really kind of framed how UNC was going to move forward. Yeah, I think that's a that did just that framed Carolina's response. I think the result of this case may be a game changer for how the NCAA um, functions as a whole. Greg, I know it's been discussed, but we're we're two from here. Uh, give us the process, and maybe I hate to say timeline because Lord <laughs> knows, <laughs> yeah, this timeline's been shot to hell since day one. But but your take on uh. The process from here out. Well, um, basically, what happens is March, May sixteenth was when North Carolina had to respond, and not just North Carolina, but all the involved parties. So we know Deborah Crowder. Uh, you got her affidavit in, her response in, her interview in. 
And we know Jam Boxel is probably going to be doing the same thing. I assume she already did that. Nungaro, I'm not expecting to hear anything that he um, cooperated because he hasn't done that in the past. But now that all of those responses are in, uh, the enforcement staff essentially has 60 days. So give them until you know, mid-July to kind of look at the responses and formulate their own response to the responses. And that's not something that's going to be available to the public. But what that document will do is that goes to the Committee on Infractions. And what Sankey uh, had indicated back in the spring is that the anticipated hearing dates for this case with the Committee on Infractions would be August 16th and 17th. Uh, and essentially what would happen from there is you know, they say two to three months after that hearing uh, to deliver an infractions report, and the infractions report is what would have any potential penalties in it. Now, if you remember back to the first time around, uh, North Carolina had its committee on, uh, committee on infractions hearing in October. We actually did not get the infractions report until mid-March. So about a five-month turnaround there, a lot longer than what the NCAA guidelines suggest. Uh, so if they have the hearing in August, maybe by the end of the year we would, we would see the infractions report, maybe the beginning of 2018. And then at that point, it's a very short window for when North Carolina would have to say, hey, we don't like this. We want to go through the appeals process. And that's, that's something important because Bubba made that clear on Thursday that North Carolina was going to exhaust the process. And that means not just get through the infractions report, but also the appeals process. You know, every, every step you can take in the NCAA framework, you take it. And only at that point do you say, okay, now we're going to go to the next step, which would be going legal. So before we even talk about this thing going to a court of law, uh, you got to get through the appeals process, which would be, you know, probably next spring, maybe early summer. So we're, st we're still a year out before the NCAA aspect of this is wrapped up. Uh, Greg, I know you will be on it. I know you'll be covering it. You probably cover it in your sleep, I'm sure. Um, I know that Inside Carolina will be all over it, and I know that we'll be talking about it on these podcasts for days, weeks, months, hopefully not years to come. But, Greg, appreciate you joining me on this one. All right. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to Inside Carolina Radio, brought to you by johnnytshirt.com, where Inside Carolina members get 10% off their everyday online orders. We'll talk to you again soon.